0: How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty well. I bought myself a bag of bugles the other day, the uh, crunchy corn chip that's shaped like a tiny little cornucopia. Because I, like, I assume, many reasonable adult humans, enjoy making myself tiny little ice cream cones of French onion dip. It makes me feel like a giant who has very strange taste in ice cream. Well, if you're one of the many perfectly normal people like myself who enjoy this activity, I suggest you get those bugle chips while you can. Because I noticed on the bag a tiny little seal in the corner. It was a cartoon picture of a hand, and each finger on that hand had a tiny little bugle snack chip on it, which is fine. I understand that many children like to do things like this. It's not a sophisticated pursuit like making tiny ice cream cones of French onion dip for yourself, but it's fine. But then I read the words that were around this picture, which proudly proclaimed that bugles were America's number one finger hat. Well, you had a nice run while you lasted, Bugles, you beautiful snack-chip Icarus, but your crunchy corn wings have flown you too close to the sun. There is no way the olive companies are going to put up with a claim like that. Big Olive is going to stomp you into the fucking ground, Bugles. And when you think you've had enough and you can't take any more, they're going to extend an olive branch to you. Straight up your crunchy corn ass. And then I and millions of other people are going to be left having to fill full-size ice cream cones with French onion dip. You'll have that on your conscience. Anyway, we've got a comic book to talk about that makes that introduction seem normal. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. Who's the Worst Offender? It's probably Jack Norris, but I guess we'll know for certain once we hear the synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Defenders, number 35, May, 1976. Bring back my body to me, to me. Written by Steve Gerber, draughted by Sal Busema, inked by Klaus Janssen, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Petra Goldberg, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Defensive Lineup, Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, The Incredible Hulk, Jack Norris, Nighthawk, sort of. And introducing the Red Guardian. Previously in the Defenders. A few years ago, the Defenders ran afoul of a glam rock interstellar geologist turned unscrupulous planetary real estate investor named Nebulon, the Celestial Man from Beyond the Stars. Nebulon had golden skin, silver hair, a cosmic onesie, and a voice like a thousand crystal gongs. He also had an evil plan to flood the Earth so that he could sell it to some alien fish people. Our heroes blew up his giant laser and sent the celestial space speculator skedaddling. Hooray! More recently, our costumed crime fighters encountered a cadre of curiously craniumed criminals named the Headmen. The Headmen's roster included Dr. Arthur Nagin, who I call Dr. Gorilla Body because he has a human head on a gorilla body. Dr. Jerry Morgan, who I call Dr. Melty Face because he has a melty face. Ruby, a scantily clad scientist whose head is a shape-changing, shiny red bowling ball. And Chandu the Mystic, a C-minus sorcerer who is bald and occasionally wears a turban. These nightmarishly noggin no goodnicks kidnapped Nighthawk, a.k.a. Billionaire Duel bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, scooped his brain out and switched it out for Chandu's brain. The Kyle-Body-Clad Crumbum used his familiar face to infiltrate our titular non-team and attempted a sneak attack on the unsuspecting superheroes. Unfortunately for the brain-swapping baddie, his meager magical might was no match for that of the Sorcerer Supreme, be he suspecting or otherwise. Steve sorcerously smacked the shit out of the Kyle-Clad Conjurer. Hooray! Then things got complicated. Steve used his magic to put the mind of Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body was the host of the sorcerously created Persona Valkyrie, into Chandu's brain, which was in Kyle's body. He then put Chandu's mind, but not his brain, into the body of a recently orphaned baby deer that the Hulk had saved from some hunters. I know! The Defenders, including a Kyle-bodied, chandu-brained, jack-minded nighthawk, headed off to the suburbs to confront the Headmen and retrieve Kyle's displaced brain, which the monstrously meloned menaces were keeping in a punch bowl. After the Defenders departed, the mystically-minded, furious Fawn escaped from Steve's sanctum and took to the streets of the city, where he was almost immediately abducted by space aliens. Meanwhile, the Defenders had just arrived at the Headmen's headquarters when the strangely-skulled supervillains ambushed our heroes. Except for Nighthawk, who the headman thought was Chandu but was secretly Jack Norris. Sort of. During the eventual Donnybrook, the Kyle-bodied, chandu brained Jack-minded Nighthawk snatched Kyle's brain bowl and flew off with it. Hooray! Only no sooner had the brain bowl-bearing turducken of a superhero taken to the skies than he himself was snatched by a UFO. Naturally. The flying saucer was captained by none other than the Defender's old nemesis, Nebulon! It turned out that after our protagonist pummeled the cosmic conman, Nebulon fell in with a race of scary orange alien altruists named the Ludberdites. His new philanthropic friends helped Nebulon realize what an asshole he had been and agreed to accompany the apparently contrite Bowie-esque blowhard back to the backwater planet of Earth so that he could make amends. The first step in the supposedly selfless Celestial Man's scheme for Terran improvement was to abduct a random sampling of Earth creatures, including a certain belligerent baby deer, so that he and the Ludberdites could scan their minds and see what world-improving work needed to be done on this fixer-upper of a planet. Nebulon and his space buddies beamed Kyle, er, Jack, er, let's just call him Nighthawk, to a storage facility with the rest of the abductees so that he could begin his second stage in the Earth's rehabilitation. And what was Nebulon's second stage? Why, establishing himself as the charismatic leader of a self-help cult, the acolytes of which wore clown masks and referred to themselves and others as bozos. Of course. Meanwhile, back in suburbia, realizing that they were physically outmatched, the headmen fled to a second secret lair, leaving the defenders to return to Steve Strange's sanctum sanctimonious. Upon returning home, our heroes found that the fawn-formed Chandu had fled. Hulk went out searching for the baby deer only to encounter a disguised Nebulon. The Green Goliath employed some implausible intuition and concluded that the celestial self-help guru was the deer-napper he sought. A brief kerfuffle ensued during which the Hulk was tossed into space. He hates that. After landing, the Bruce behemoth returned to his teammates and shared both his suspicions and a leaflet he found at the site of his scuffle. At the Jade Giant's insistence that night, Steve and Val accompanied the Hulk to a symposium hosted by a certain self-styled celestial self-help swami. Soon after the heroes donned the meeting's mandatory Bozo the Clown masks, a disguised Nebulon drew a curtain from the stage and revealed the presence of the Earthlings his alien buddies had abducted. The cadre of kidnap victims, including a brain-bull-bearing Nighthawk and a certain baby deer, stood mesmerized on the stage, mindlessly chanting the word Bozo at the assembled self-help seekers. Upon seeing the many times mind-altered Nighthawk, the Defenders attacked Nebuline, during the course of the ensuing melee, the deer-bodied Chandu absorbed enough ambient mystical and cosmic energies to regain his own sorceress powers. The adorable angry fawn flashed his eyes and teleported himself and Nebulon away from the smashed symposium site, leaving behind an addled audience, a confused Kyle-bodied crime fighter, and a team of discombobulated defenders to ask themselves the all-too-often appropriate question, What happened? Gadzooks! Now that our heroes finally have a kyle brain, a kyle mind, and a kyle body in their possession, will they finally be able to use those ingredients to make a kyle? After inhabiting a superhero and a baby deer, will Chandu find his old body a bit boring? And finally, at the risk of redundancy, what happened? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Not without a great deal of diplomacy and a little help from a new friend. Um, that's not going to be an issue. And honestly, once again, I have no fucking idea. Sorry. On the streets of an unnamed metropolis in the USSR, an old beardy dude in a fur hat and a threadbare coat named Pyotr is holding a pretty young lady at knife point and demanding that she hand over all of her rubles. This unauthorized redistribution of wealth is interrupted by the acrobatic arrival of a heroic young woman clad in a red spandex suit. Hooray! I was just thinking that this story wasn't complicated enough and could really use some more new characters in it. The daredevil-esque do starts whooping the crud out of Pyotr. Her somewhat one-sided display of pugilism is interrupted by the arrival of some Russian police. Rather than apprehending the shitty old Pyotr, The cops instead start shooting at the crimson-clad crime fighter, who they refer to as the Red Guardian. The Red Guardian parkours her way across the Russian rooftops as the police pursue her. The mugging victim pleads for the officers to stop firing at her beleaguered benefactor, but to no avail. The party council has declared the Red Guardian an official enemy of the state. A few blocks away, the aforementioned Vermillion vigilante leaps through the window of her top-floor apartment and takes off her cowl. It turns out that she is a pretty black-haired lady named Dr. Tanya Belinsky. Not only is she a self-described Soviet patriot who places country over political party, but she is also the world's most brilliant neurosurgeon. Neat! In addition to her ninja-like fighting skills and her surgical prowess, the formidable physician also possesses another pertinent tool. An old-timey telephone, which has just started to ring. When the do-gooding doctor answers the phone, it turns out that the caller is another surgeon-turned-superhero of some note. One Dr. Stephen Strange. Steve asks Dr. Belinsky if she would be willing to fly to America to do him a favor. He'd like her to perform brain transplant surgery, if it's not too much trouble. You guys, I bet that's for Kyle. Unless... Nah, it's probably for Kyle. After successfully securing the services of the Soviet surgeon, Steve turns his attention to Jack Norris. Strange grabs Jack's body out of the Tupperware he's probably been keeping it in, and does some magic at the Nighthawk body, which includes some unnecessary levitation, because whatever else he is, Doctor Strange is a showman first and foremost. Well, maybe a pedant first and foremost, but at the very least a showman second and second most. Anyway, the upside is that after he finishes up with his mumbo-jumbo, Jack's mind is back in Jack's brain, which is in Jack's body. For the sake of simplicity, I think it's safe to just call that guy Jack again from now on. Hooray! So let's do a brief recap of the situation of the other two participants in the game of three-brain Monty that the headmen started. Kyle's mind is in Kyle's brain, which is in a punch bowl. Chandu's brain is in Kyle's body, but Chandu's mind is in a baby deer's brain, which is in a baby deer's body. So, the only missing components are Chandu's body and the baby deer's mind. We'll get to at least one of those pretty soon. The Hulk is pretty pissed off that everyone is too busy cerebellum swapping to help him look for his missing deer. Unable to contain his frustration any longer, the emerald animal enthusiast stomps off in search of his unfortunate ungulate amigo. Val decides to go after the Hulk and try to keep him out of trouble. Jack is pretty stoked to be back in his own body, despite the fact that it only has the strength of one relatively strong man. He offers to accompany Val, and she accepts. Meanwhile, in their secret secondary science lab, the headmen are putting the finishing touches on some modifications they've made to Chandu's uninhabited body. So that's where that thing's been. The strangely sculled scientists are startled when suddenly... An angry baby deer and a certain shiny-skinned celestial self-help guru teleport into the middle of the room. Why, I bet that angry deer is the one who has Chandu's mind in it. That must mean that the shiny dude is... Tony Robbins! Okay, fine, it's Nebulon. Nebulon yells at the baby deer, which is adorable, while the confused headmen try to figure out what the fuck is going on. For once, I'm with the headmen on this. Finally, Chandu reveals his evil identity to his buddies by shooting lasers out of his deer eyeballs and burning the words, I am Chandu, into the wall. Hooray! Then Dr. Gorilla Body yells at the Chandu fawn and is like, What the fuck, dude? You were supposed to be in the Kyle body! If you're hanging out inside a deer, then who is that dude who flew off with my favorite brain bowl? Chandu responds reasonably by telling Dr. Gorilla Body to fuck off. Ruby tries to flirt with Nebulon and asks the golden-skinned former space geologist if he wants to stick around while the headmen try to science Chandu's magically misplaced mind back into his brainless body. Nebulon responds reasonably by telling the headmen to fuck off. Then he teleports away. Bye, Nebulon! Hey, let's check back in on Steve. You know, I give Stephen Strange a lot of well-deserved shit, but every once in a while, he does something truly heroic this is one of those times. While his non-teammates are off on their respective missions, the Sorcerer Supreme is picking a friend up at the airport. During rush hour. Now that's heroism. Steve greets Dr. Tanya Belinsky as she and her government handlers arrive at the gate at JFK. From the number of diplomats present, it's pretty clear that the doctor is a pretty big deal. We see that some dude is lurking nearby in what's probably a Hudson News or something. The shadowy man is keeping a close watch on Dr. Belinsky, and has some strong opinions about the Soviet government, although which direction those feelings run is a little unclear. It's pretty unsettling, especially given the state of airport security in the 1970s. That guy could have any number of guns on him, and way more than 3.4 ounces of fluid. That guy could potentially have gallons of orange juice on him, and they just let him walk right onto an airplane. What a crazy lawless time the 1970s were. Meanwhile, the Hulk has gone to the Central Park Zoo to look for his deer buddy. He sees one fawn that is in a cage and wonders aloud to himself whether that is the deer he is looking for. Well, Hulk, the only way to tell for sure is to wait for it to shoot lasers out of its eyes and write its name on a wall. Don't you know anything about deer? Unfortunately, the Hulk doesn't get much of an opportunity to demonstrate his knowledge of animal husbandry, or lack thereof, because a couple of police officers walk up and start shooting him for no goddamn reason. What the fuck, guys? Is Walking Well Green a capital offense in New York? Luckily, Valkyrie and Jack are soaring around nearby on Val's flying horse. The sorcerously Scandinavian superheroine decides to calm her rampaging non-teammate down by leaping from a hundred feet in the air and landing on the small of the Green Goliath's back. Amazingly, her plan seems to work. For a second, anyway. The Hulk is initially more confused than angry at Val's sudden appearance. The sword-slinging Norse warrior takes the opportunity to speak to the cops and ask if they would mind not arbitrarily shooting bullets at her friend, because he really doesn't like that. The policemen begin to reluctantly agree, but at this point, the Hulk gets pissed off at Val for not being more pissed off at the cops, which actually seems like a pretty reasonable stance for the big green guy all things considered. Hurt and confused, the jade giant leaps off to go guest star in the pages of Omega the Unknown number 2. Hooray! Meanwhile back at the headman's auxiliary headquarters, the distinctly domed do-batters are finishing up sciencing Chandu's mind out of the baby deer body and into the Chandu body, or more accurately, what used to be the Chandu body. Because during the mentally meandering mystic's absence, Ruby, Gorilla Body, and Melty Face made a few minor adjustments. After awakening, Chandu gazes into the mirror and is surprised to find that his new and improved body comes with giant bat wings, what looks like huge chicken feet, sharp fangs, a unicorn horn, and a snake tongue. Oh, and his arms have been replaced by eight lamprey eels, because why the fuck not? All things considered, I guess it's a pretty good prank. Chandu, however, is unamused. The one-man menagerie attacks his teammates and insists that they give him his old body back. Ruby shoots some tendrils out of her bowling ball head and restrains the rampaging reject from a Wuzzles cartoon. She explains that his new brain is made out of the same stuff as her own marvelous melon and is for all intents and purposes immortal. If he wants a different body, although she can't imagine why he would, he can just fly off, use those legs that look like they should be carting Baba Yaga's house around, and pick up whatever body he sees that catches his fancy and pop his new brain into it. So, that's just what he does. While well, across town, Doctors Strange and Belinsky exchange small talk as they prepare to perform their own brain surgery, Chanu flies over to a construction site, plucks a hard hat wearing hard body off the side of the building, and prepares to jam his brain into the terrified laborer's body. See, this is why we need unions. A worksite of that size should have mandatory safety harnesses for the high rise riveters and some kind of anti chimera abduction netting. Somebody really ought to call OSHA about that. Fortunately, Valkyrie and Jack were hanging out on an abduction-adjacent rooftop. Valkyrie literally leaps into action and tackles the combination platter of a kidnapping Crumbum out of the sky, forcing the freakish felon to deposit his terrified prey atop a nearby building. Enraged by the unexpected aerial assault, Chandu ensnares Val with his creepy eel arms and attempts to fly off with her. So Val takes out her magic sword Dragon Fang and chops off one of Chandu's bat wings. Damn! The two combatants plummet through the skylight of a fancy restaurant and continue their titanic tussle. Chandu gains a momentary advantage when he flings a hot coffee pot at Val like he thinks he's Judge Reinhold in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Well, let me tell you something, Chandu. You may be a lot of things. A snake, a bat, a unicorn, a giant chicken, etc. But you are no Judge Reinhold. Val grabs the non-Judge Reinhold reprobate by his unicorn horn and knees him in the fucking head until he passes out. Hooray! Val is about to snap Chandu's neck like a twig when a bunch of cops bust in and are like, hey, don't snap that dude's neck like a twig. Val is like, well, if you're going to arrest him, I guess I won't have to. Pity. Guess I'll be going then. Good luck. The police interrupt her and inform the badass mystical Norse warrior that she is under arrest. What? Seriously? Seriously? A lady can't bust through a skylight, cut off a dude's bat wings, grab his unicorn horn, and knee him in the face a bunch of times until he dies anymore? I thought this was America. Just goes to show. An old white dude with chicken feet, bat wings, a snake tongue, a unicorn horn, and eels for arms. Still an old white dude. Typical. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well myself. Good. This is a heck of a comic book we got here. Oh my goodness. Whoa. I feel like with this issue, and the last one too, it's like Gerber's setting up like a chessboard, and he's getting all the pieces out, and just keeps putting more pieces on the board. And then you're like, okay, so now we're going to start playing this game, right? And and then you're like, oh, and now he's putting some, some checkers on there too, Mm-hmm. and some action figures and Mm -hmm. a couple of oreos and some silly putty some silly putty now he's taped another chessboard to the side of the first chessboard out of room what the fuck game are we playing nobody knows but i'm liking it it's weird and fun it is weird and it is fun um we really have to talk about chandu we really have to talk about chandu cory that's serious what the fuck is up with Chongdu? Why would you put eels in place of arms? It makes no damn sense. Because you can. Okay, eels in place of arms. I'll allow it. They've got bitey heads at the end of them. That's got to be useful in certain situations. And they don't have bones in them. So, you know, they can't you can't break those bone arm bones. They probably got bones.
1: Eels are. Oh shit. Yeah, they
0: are. But it's harder to break cuz they got so many little bones. You know, mm. they're bendier than arms. That's true. They, they got those uh pointy suction hole mouths that are so terrifying.
1: Gross. So gross. Did no. you ever catch a fish with one of those lamprey marks on it? No. As a kid? Where were you fishing around lamprey? Well, it might have been near the lamprey river. Oh, that would make sense then.
0: Yeah, I can't remember. Huh. Well, let's assume it was near the lamprey river. They had them. Yeah, I know. They, they were in uh, the oyster river too. That's misleading. I know. Well, they also had oysters. <laughs> it wasn't called the Just Oyster River. Ah, okay. The piece of Chandu's anatomy that maybe makes the least sense to me is why they bothered giving him a snake's tongue. Like,
1: what benefit is that? Well, otherwise, when he was grappling with Valkyrie, he couldn't disgustingly lick her face with his snake's tongue. Oh, I could have given him a frog tongue. That, that would have been, been way, just way like, more useful.
0: Could have caught flies. Exactly. Like vaguely prehensile. Mm-hmm. Like snake tongue just looks weird. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, I think that was Dr. Body just fucking with Chondu. <laughs> I think that might have been Ruby too. They seemed like they were having a lot of fun with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Basically, Dr.
0: Meltyface was sad though. Uh, but Dr. Meltyface is always sad. I'm getting pretty sick of
1: Dr. Meltyface's shit. He could fix his face too. Yeah. If they can give Chondu a snake tongue, they can fix Dr. Meltyface's melting face. You'd think so. The head men are really fun in this issue. Ruby has quite a liking
0: of um, sparkle hair. Uh-huh. She is uh, She's very flirty with Nebulon, as she had been with Kyle. I really like that about her. She's just a fun, flirty bowling ball head. Yeah. Just a good time scientist. Out to get her kicks.
1: Questionable choices, again, with the eel arms. I, I know you're okay with it, but it's...
0: <laughs> I'm fine with the eel arms. It's the snake tongue that gets to me. Either way, stroke of brilliance with a unicorn horn. (laughs)
1: That's pretty cool. The chicken feet are kind of dumb.
0: Yeah. Aesthetically, they definitely look like chicken feet. They are described as being like mighty hawk talons, Eh. which I kind of get. But yeah, he definitely looks like he swiped those things off of Baba Yaga's
1: house. It does really bother Aragorn when Aragorn gets taloned with them chicken feet. Aragorn has a rough go of it, man.
0: He does. Gets gets taloned by the chicken feet. Poor horse. When Val skydives off of him without a parachute, just Jack's riding Aragorn by himself. Mm -hmm. That's not Aragorn's deal. Totin' Jack around unescorted. He probably doesn't care for it. I would imagine not. Dr. Gorilla Body really comes into his own as an asshole in this issue. He's great. I mean, he had been an asshole before, but now there's this gleeful quality to it. I feel like with the headmen in general, there were some breadcrumbs of personality traits that they got early on. And now Gerber's picked up on them more and really like shoved them in different directions. Mm-hmm. Where Dr. Meltyface was always kind of nebishy, now he's super nebishy. Dr. Gorilla Body was kind of always an evil, self-satisfied bully. Now he's super leaning in that direction. Ruby's finally got a personality that she's just a fun, flirty scientist who's kind of amoral Mm -hmm. and apparently has a penchant for eel bodies for arms. Yep. You know, and Chandu is, uh, wow. So let's go through. He's got the, we've discussed, he's got the unicorn horn. He's got chicken feet, bat wings. Red bat wings. Red bat wings from a red bat. The most dangerous of all bats. Giant, giant red bat wings. Yeah. Chicken feet. Chicken feet, snake tongue eel arms i guess they left him with just his regular torso for the most part
1: stronger though i i would say how he's just uh they he talks about uh, he was always a more of a mental magical warrior before and now he has this amazing fighting body that he can use yeah but i don't think they changed
0: his torso out like they made modifications to his body i don't think it's a ship of theseus type deal where like they threw all the pieces away as they went Hmm, maybe I think it's funny that they left him bald. Like why not give him like a Coxcomb sure there you go or a hyena's haircut or like a zebra's mohawk Yeah, give him a zebra mohawk with a little fucking unicorn horn coming out of it. That would be cool Pretty great, but no he still stays a bald chandu, but a crazy-looking bald chandu. Do you think he misses being in the fawn's body? (laughs) I think he does (laughs) fawn was pretty cute. Okay, so do you think the fawn is okay? I mean, we've seen that Dr. Gorilla Body does not have even as much value for the sanctity of life that Dr. Strange does, like as evidenced by the fact that like he was just lopping heads off of gorillas and discarding their corpses. That's how he ended up in the gorilla body to begin with. Yep. It's not looking good for that deer.
1: No, I still would like to maintain that the deer's Gosh, I'm so mixed up between what's your brain, your soul, your mind, your personality. Okay, so he's still got the brain. He's still got the body. Maybe now that
0: they lifted Chandu's mystically transferred personality out of the deer by using electronic pattern recognition, Mm -hmm. that maybe the deer's okay?
1: I think the deer's okay. Like Maybe his original brainwaves will reassert themselves? Yeah, I think there was just enough room for the deer to keep its deer mind in its brain. Well, Chandu's mind was also occupying that space. Because, you know, we only use ten percent of our brain. Oh, that's right. I
0: always forget. Unless for you're uh, Thank you. You're Unless you're Destro the Terminator. Or anybody else. Yeah. Uh there is also a fun line where Dr. Gorilla Body it's one of my favorite lines. He says Opinion, Ruby. Will Chandu be amused by our handiwork? Impressed? What? And Ruby's like does not matter, Negan? And then her and Jerry start bickering. And uh, and Negan says, Now, now, let's not waste time arguing. Tell me how smart I am instead. This alternate headquarters I'd prepared, for example. Well, well. I love that he ma- he calls it the headquarters. Mm-hmm. I love that he's like, No, 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 everybody stop arguing and tell me how smart I am.
1: Yep, yeah, he's really coming into his own as uh, yeah. king shit. He's got a real shit-eating grin, too.
0: Mm-hmm man he's so proud of himself (laughs) he is and I guess he should be like we do get a idea of how impressive brain transference surgery is in this issue in that there's only one other surgeon other than the headman in the world who is capable of performing it you go all the way to Russia for that uh huh let's talk about the Red Guardian for a bit sure She's dope. She is dope. Now, were you familiar with the character at all? Nope. Okay, this is the first appearance of the Tanya Belinsky Red Guardian. Mm -hmm. But the Red Guardian is basically the Russian analog of Captain America. Hmm. So there was a Golden Age Red Guardian who was pals with Captain America and the Submariner and fought in World War II on the Allied side. Then there was a Silver Age Red Guardian who was created for the Avengers comic book. And I think he was Black Widow's ex, who she thought was dead, but then wasn't dead and was a spy. And I don't know. The only real fun fact I remember about him was that he beat out Yuri Gregarian for the job. Oh. And so then Yuri Gregarian just had to be an astronaut instead. Oh, He was kind of disappointed. Sure. Yeah. But then we get this Red Guardian, this is her first appearance, and she seems pretty cool. It's weird to have a sympathetic Russian character depicted in a comic book from this era who doesn't fall into the category of being either a defector from the Soviet Union or theologically opposed to the Soviet Union. I mean, she doesn't get along with the Russian government, but it really seems as though the Soviet government in this is depicted as being bad not because they are communist, but more because they are a government. And it's kind of shown in a negative light in the same way that the US government is shown in a negative light.
1: Yeah, there was one thing that she said I found particularly interesting where she is making this distinction between love of country and love of government. Uh huh. Where she says something to the effect of, like, I, I can't think of it like the Americans do where they say, you know, your country, my country all right all or go, wrong right or wrong yeah good or take the good with the bad she's like no i don't want to do that i'm gonna go stop these criminals and it sucks that my own government says i shouldn't be doing that but mm-hmm. you know fuck those guys yeah but i mean she
0: is the red guardian which is not like traditionally russian it's clearly soviet and so the country she loves is not russia but is the soviet union so one would imagine that she is sympathetic to communism mm-hmm. which is kind of odd to see this is a slightly different era, but I know when we were growing up, we got the Rocky Four version of Russians, mm-hmm. where they're either either in league with the government and then they're evil, or they're just the poor workers who want to cheer for Rocky and hate their government. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't appear to be either of those, and I think that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, really upends the whole Rocky Four <laughs> binary situation that I we, know. we grew up with. Yeah. And don't get me started on the uh, the Central Americans... Oh, no, they're more Clubber Langs. <laughs> thinking of Red Dawn? <laughs> oh, God.
0: I had a teacher in fourth grade who used to tell us that if Nicaragua became communist, then we were all going to be screwed because they could sneak up over the Texas border in the night when we were all asleep and, and kill us all. Dang. In like Red Dawn style. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think even in fourth grade, I remember thinking, like, Nah, man, they can't just do that shit at night. And also, Nicaragua's pretty far from the Texas border. Also, they're a very small country. I don't... That just doesn't make sense. He later got fired for throwing a desk at a kid.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I recall my first grade teacher, I remember her name, Clough, Mrs. Clough, mm-hmm. saying that I almost... She has, like, Yakov Smirnoff's voice in my head, but in communist <laughs> Russia... <laughs> um you can't choose what you do like you were forced to work in different sorts of factories mm-hmm. and as a first grader like even at that point you know i this american idea of like that sounded like the most horrifying thing to me it was like i hate first grade <laughs> <laughs> and they're just gonna make me do like a repeat of that you know screwing toothpaste Caps on toothpaste or whatever. The, Is that what you did in first grade? That was all they let us do. Oh, man. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just, yeah, I remember that indoctrination at a very early age of just like, wow, communism sounds pretty awful.
0: But she's the most brilliant neurosurgeon in the world. Mm-hmm. She's a badass. Mm-hmm. She's beautiful. Yep. Snappy dresser. Checks all the boxes. She seems pretty great. I like this lady a lot, and I'm glad we're going to get to see a little more of her. Mm-hmm. It was weird to see Dr. Strange be deferent to her. A lady doctor, nonetheless. I know. It seems very out of character for Steve Strange. Mm -hmm. I mean, he says he doesn't do it humbly, but I think he did humbly Mm -hmm. ask for
1: her. I love that (laughs) correction. It was really funny.
0: (laughs) Let's take a look at that, actually. That was very Stevie. His friend from the State Department, who has helped him set up this meeting... And I present to you, comrade Dr. Tanya Bolinski, world-renowned neurosurgeon. And this is Dr. Strange, who humbly requested her assistance. And Steve interrupts and is like, Not humbly, Taylor. With utmost respect. Now, do you think that Steve literally doesn't know what humbly means? It's It's a confusing sentence. I like it, and I think it's in character that he's like, No, I don't do anything humbly. I know that I'm the greatest. But that seems more like something he would think than he would actually say.
1: Like it just comes out. Yeah, he can't help I it. I think you might be right. Yeah, Steve has very little in the way of filter. We know this. I don't know. He lectured Val about it last issue. Well, do as I say, not as I do.
0: Hmm. <laughs> I can use thought bubbles and word bubbles interchangeably. So swears Doctor Strange.
1: Or you know, maybe he just likes to. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs>
0: I'm not humble, I think I'm great, but you're also a very good surgeon. But one thing that he did do humbly earlier on was admit that his own Russian was very poor in comparison to her English. Mm-hmm. Which, it's like, whoa, you're you're admitting faults? You're admitting medical superiority to somebody? What is going on with I, Steve I think he's.
1: Uh, I think he's got a little crush.
0: Could be, could be. Clea's gonna be pissed. Clea's
1: not gonna like that.
0: Yes, doctor, your English is excellent, fortunately, as my Russian is awful. My own Russian is pretty awful. I did take uh, four years of Russian in high school. I remember so little. I remember most of the alphabet and a few words and phrases, including... I don't know, man. Where's the lady crane operator?
1: (laughs) I thought you said something else. What did you think I said? I thought you said... Uh the thing that you said earlier. Where's my corn? Oh no no. Sorry, sorry. Right? That's Ggyamoyovo Kuknuyu. Oh. I... And Not lady vai, Okay, crane operator. Uh-huh. Lady. Uh-huh. And corn. Kuknuyu. Kuknuyu. Da. Da
0: Hey, look da. at you. That's a <laughs> Russian word. I correct my earlier statement. Unlike Doctor Strange, my Russian is very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yeah, the reason I know Lady Crane Operator as a word is because the textbook that we were using was a Russian primary school textbook for, mm-hmm. like, first graders. Mm-hmm. And so we would have vocabulary words that would be like, book, window, eyeglasses, worker, female crane operator. Yeah, but Red Guardian seems rad. Glad to have her aboard. Likewise. You
1: think the brain surgery went okay? We don't actually see the results of it. Yeah, I, I have to believe it like Doctor Strange is so invested in that there's a couple panels where he's just holding the brain bowl and he just seems so I don't know wistful I don't know what the right word is
0: yeah I think wistful works just haunted by
1: this brain bowl oh Kyle's brain
0: oh Kyle's brain I've never felt closer to you I mean literally because there's not a skull between us right now but also it's gonna be a shame to put you back in that body
1: yeah it's a it's a weird deal He doesn't understand the science. He doesn't like this fluid that's keeping this thing alive. How?
0: So there are a couple of potential buddy cop combos that I would like to see movies of. And Steve and Kyle's brain. That'd be a pretty good one. Mm -hmm. Watch them be out on the town together. Nebulon and Shondu and the deer body. There's a couple of panels of them interacting, (laughs) and I would just love to see them go on some adventures together. Just keep bickering. He's so mad. It's like, You did this! (laughs) I did not want to be here! You! This was your doing! You tapped my dimension spanning power! Snatched me away from my battle with the defenders!
1: (laughs) <laughs> he's he's using so... his full on crystal gong voice too, like it's not a a gentle admonishment. Uh-huh. And he's doing like the the
0: wizard or matlock pointing where you're pointing at him with all of your fingers mm-hmm. and the baby deer looks so angry at him. It's just a wonderful interaction and I, I could watch those two bicker all day and gradually grow a grudging respect for each other and then admit that they were the best partner they'd ever
1: had. I like it. Yeah, so get on it, Marvel. I also like that apparently the only way the deer can communicate is by using laser eyes to burn words into walls, <laughs> or into the air. Th- that's
0: the primary way that deer's communicate with each other in nature. That's not a magic thing. That's just that's just deer's, Corey. Why people shoot them all the time? <laughs> I think it's one reason. Like, yeah.
1: Oh, there's one.
0: Yeah. No. That's oh, motherfucker ate all my salt. <laughs> it keeps burning its name into the walls. I get it. I get it, Deborah. You are Deborah. Oh, Fine.
1: No. That's how You're also th- venison. Th- that's how this whole mess started. Uh-huh. Those jerk hunters? Ah, I mean, those hunters that were jerks.
0: Right. Ooh, jerk hunter. That would be a pretty good. So Steve Gerber does <laughs> later create a character called Fool Killer. But like if Fool Killer teamed up with Jerk
1: Hunter, mm. it'd be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Those would be like the vigilantes to um, Nebulon and Bambi. Uh huh. You're on the <laughs> wrong side of the law, man. You're on the wrong side of the law, man. <laughs> I am Chandu.
0: <laughs> That's the thing. That is the way Deers communicate. But they can only say what their name is. That's so <laughs> limiting. No wonder he's mad. Eh, it's like a Groot thing. They, they like they. Mm. different sized letters burned into walls okay uh, conno- connotes different meanings sure it's subtle mm-hmm. you gotta look at the handwriting okay so we mentioned before that there's a general kind of anti-authority feeling about this whether it be the u.s government or the russian government that's brought into the forefront by we've got three different sets of jerk cops in this issue we get the jerk (sighs) cops who start shooting at the red guardian in the opening when she's rescuing a lady from a mugger named Mm Pyotr who has a beard Mm -hmm. we get the cops in central park where the hulk is visiting the famous central park deer cages zoo so they got a whole zoo they got a deer in a zoo Okay, fair enough. It's a zoo deer park. (laughs) That's it. We're both right. (laughs) Okay. But the cops see that the Hulk is interacting with a baby deer and wondering if it is his friend. So they run up behind him and start yelling and shooting him. Naturally.
1: What the fuck, guys? This happens, I feel like, every time that the police have an interaction with the Hulk. And I cannot imagine that... This hasn't become a regular enough occurrence that the cops should be like, okay, hey, cops. Like, and they have their, like, yeah. briefing or whatever at the beginning of the day and all the right. cops aren't, like, in the movie. Yeah. And they, like, put a picture of the Hulk up on they're their power. They're passing the Xeroxes around. Yeah. yeah. They put up the PowerPoint like, presentation. Don't shoot this dude because it just makes him angry and he's going to smash things.
0: Yeah. Stop <laughs> doing it. Maybe that's how they, like, get a bigger budget. Like, maybe they're trying to promote him going on rampages so that they get, like speaking of anti-authority. Yeah, that's I'm just I'm geez, I'm man. spitballing ideas because if that's not the case, then these dudes are just dumb as shit because they just show up, see that he is talking to a deer,
1: like like he's he's petting its little nose yes. through the cage, very so gentle.
0: One of two things is happening. They either recognize him as the Hulk or they don't recognize him as the Hulk. If they don't recognize him as the Hulk, then seeing that he is interacting with the deer and that their response is to get out a gun and shoot him, what the fuck, guys? Or they recognize he, he is the Hulk, in which case, why the fuck are you shooting him? Because it won't do anything, except for piss him off. It pisses me off because it happens all the time. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good at all. And Valkyrie tries to intercede. She does intercede. Uh, the Hulk, I think his aggression at Valkyrie is misplaced. Because she just wants to de-escalate the situation and see, like, hey, things are things are cool, I'm here. But she makes the mistake of addressing the police officers before she addresses the Hulk. She She's like, hey, cops, chill out, he's under control, please just go away. And they're like, well, he seems to trust you. And the Hulk's like, not anymore, I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, fuck you, fuck all of you. I'm gonna go and hop into the pages of Omega the Unknown, which is... One of my favorite comic book series ever. That's Um, where he
1: hops off to? That's where he hops
0: off to. I don't think we're going to cover it for this. It's only tangentially related. Mm. But I'm certainly going to give Omega the Unknown number two another reread and see what the Hulk is up to.
1: Yeah, he's very binary. So either a girl helps me or a girl helps blue men. And he thought that the girl helped the blue men.
0: Yeah. And then later, Valkyrie gets kind of in the Hulk position where she is thwarting Chandu from using his new bonkers-ass body to kidnap a construction worker. And she goes apeshit on that thing. It is fucking awesome. She grabs his unicorn horn and starts just repeatedly kneeing him in the face. Mm -hmm. It is so badass. It is probably the most badass we have ever seen Valkyrie be. She She almost never gets to actually fight people. Like, maybe some, like, flat of the sword whacking and then they're unconscious. She goes all out on this. She was about to kill him. Yeah. And the cops are like, put him down. You're about to break his neck. And she's like, yeah, that was what I was going to do. But if you want to take him to jail instead, that's cool with me. Anyway, I'm off. And the cops arrest her. Or tell her that she's under arrest. Yeah, the cops are doing a bad job on this show. Have they just come up with the idea of arresting superheroes who just thwarted a kidnapping? Like, is that some new shit that they're on?
1: Well, to be fair, she did destroy a very fancy restaurant, and there was lots of rich people there. I think that that is probably the deal. Very disappointed. We
0: see a lot in this issue of class privilege being in action, and I think that's part of what is happening there is, like, there are rich people having a fancy meal. She disrupted it. Yeah, whatever. Break that guy's neck. Fucking grab his unicorn horn. Whatever. Um, you
1: spoiled the senator's lobster thermidor. I love that one of the kind of extras reaction when, like, this disgusting monster thing and Valkyrie come tumbling through the roof and smash into the middle of the room. His thought is, well, there goes lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to use, a like, a, a fancy, you know, privileged yeah. accent. Well, there goes lunch. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it, that's
0: a little more Steve than I had intended. I think Steve is just my privilege. Well, there goes
1: lunch. La- no, that's old Maynard. I was going yeah. for Boston <laughs> Brahmin, but I screwed it up. Well, there goes lunch. Senator.
0: <laughs> Senator, there goes my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. But we also see privilege in action in the way that Dr. Strange is able to arrange for Dr. Belinsky's visit. We see that he has pulled his contacts, but also he has played on the fact that Kyle is a high status individual, a millionaire. And we see what sway that holds with the government as well. This is, there's a lot of like anti authority undertones in this issue that I subversive, kind of dug. Mm-hmm. I do want to mention real briefly Klaus Janssen is back on the inks and. It really makes a difference. I'm pretty sure he is my favorite of Sal Buscema's inkers on this. I like the work that Jim Mooney does also, but when it's Klaus Janssen, it lends this gravitas that works especially well with the really
1: goofy scenes, and and the heavy ones, like when Steve is wistfully staring at the brain in the bowl. Like, yeah, it, it looks like something out of like a like a romance. romance yeah, comic. like like a gothic romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Klaus Jensen, I know we've discussed it
0: before. He's probably best known for working with Frank Miller uh, on both Daredevil and Dark Knight Returns. But his work on this is just gorgeous and really adds a lot to it. So, to quote the man himself, Jack's back.
1: <laughs> My
0: beautiful bod! I gotta say, I'm kind of surprised to hear myself saying this. I didn't hate Jack Norris in this issue. No, he wasn't terrible. He was super chill. I mean, it makes sense because he just got back from a coma, so he was in a total state of relaxation. And I've often found that, like, when people's muscles have been atrophying for a week or so, mm-hmm. or a month, once they regain consciousness, they just want to, you know, go for a jog or go up, uh, go out for American Ninja. Mm-hmm. I have a theory. We do have it stated that Steve was keeping his body mystically sealed in a state of total relaxation. Jack seems like he's high as fuck. Jamaican incense, man. I think it was the Jamaican incense. I think they were probably keeping him sealed in one of those giant full-body Tupperwares we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier. And Steve was just sorcerously hotboxing the shit out of it. (laughs) And so Jack is just baked out of his fucking Gordon this issue. And it makes sense because he is like relaxed and he is loose and he is joking around. And some of those jokes are actually borderline funny. Mm-hmm. When he asked to tag along with Val, as she goes and rescues the Hulk or not rescue, but when she goes to check on the Hulk and make sure he doesn't get into trouble, he says, I may as well tag along. I mean, now that I'm in top form again, if I can't tame the Hulk, who can? That was a joke, doc doc. But Steve Strange is just wistfully staring into Kyle's brain bowl. But that's a pretty decent joke. And throughout this, he he just he's just so much less uptight and so much less of an asshole in general that I wasn't even annoyed with him that much when he put his arm around Val and then asked if she would like him to stop doing that. Like, it's still not as good as if he had asked permission beforehand, but he at least is acknowledging that she has agency in this. He keeps calling her Val instead of Barbara, He has lost that almost manic need to be in control of the situation that he seemed to have before. I kind of
1: like Baked Jack Norris. Yeah, yeah. Weed makes things better, sometimes. Sometimes. For some people. Some some people. Jack Norris? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On page 15, there is a, a shadowy spy figure. Did they explain this person to us did i miss it no
0: i I think that's a seed for something that's going to happen later Mm. i think that is just gerber piling more nilla wafers and teenage mutant ninja turtle action figures onto the chessboard
1: i see okay Uh,
0: so we'll see how that pans out later Mm -hmm. it's somebody ostensibly affiliated with the russian government or opposed to the russian government who is tailing dr bolinsky so very mysterious indeed indeed i'm I'm curious as to how that's going to pan out uh, there's really no way i could know who that person is he's wearing a trench coat and fedora could be anybody aqualad godzilla the thing the hulk tractor trailer <laughs> any anyone or anything there's it's an impenetrable disguise impenetrable disguise like putting on some sunglasses over your pupilless green eyes
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: are you ready to move on to the minutiae I believe I am. Very well. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia, Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So,
1: Corey. Yep. What was your favorite sound effect? There was a series of what I think, a series of two really gnarly dick kicks. Delivered by the Red Guardian to Peter. The oh old yeah. man. And uh the noises that those made were I thought very funny. The first one Chump. Chump indeed. Which does not sound good. That really hurt. Or that's the second one. And the first one is a walk. Walk I think seems less specifically
0: dick oriented. The chump definitely is a dick
1: kick. Yeah, that's true. The walk could have been I mean like it could it could be ribs. Hip. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I had the chump written down too. Chump. Oh, 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 boy! Take the window air cells. No, I think that might have removed one of them. Oh, that's a nasty one, man. Um, I had chump written down. I also had on page thirty. It could be a dick kick. It could be a solar plexus kick. But it is Val kicking Sean <laughs> do, and it makes that. the noise whoot. Oh, yeah. So. I guess that does beg the question, what do you think they gave him for dick? Oh. Guinea pig dick?
1: Chicken dick? Because he's got those chicken legs.
0: Uh, I bet they gave him a duck dick. Just because it's weird looking, it's like a corkscrew thing. No way. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh. So I I bet, just to fuck with him, they gave him a duck dick. That's why... (laughs) Chicken legs, duck dick. (laughs) Snake tongue. Yep. Oh, the Chondu special? Uh. Very good, sir. Yeah, so creepy. Yeah, but uh, I had want, is the yeah, point. Yeah, that's a good one. The other sound effect that I had written down, there's a couple that I thought the contrast was interesting. We learned that in Russia,
1: in Soviet Russia... <laughs> Ambulance makes... Oh, no. How do, how do you finish that one? <laughs> there was a... Oh, it was a police siren
0: noise. That's what I Oh, no. Hearing. In Soviet Russia, gun says, Zing, zing! <laughs> Well, that's true in america cop gun goes bam bam mm-hmm. i just thought that was an interesting contrast did i tell you about the uh the yakov Smirnov joke that i made up like a yakov Smirnov style joke it's not about him uh refresh my memory let's see it's been a while in america you go to party to do lines of cocaine in Soviet Russia, you <laughs> wait in line for Communist Party to give you Coca-Cola, which they don't because he's a uh, American imperialist symbol of repression. Mm-hmm. What a country! <laughs> oh,
1: that's a pretty good Yakov yeah, Shmirna.
0: Thank you. I've worked very, very hard on it for literally no reason whatsoever.
1: Mm. Corey,
0: mm. sartorially speaking, which instances of fashion did you find worthy of note? Oh, Doctor Bolinski! Wow, that is some outfit. Your she's wearing. purple getup is dynamite. It is so good. It is a purple fur-lined mini dress with a crazy purple fez. It is a fez. I thought it was like supposed to be one of the like, uh, you know, like big fur hats. Mm-hmm. But it really just looks like a,
1: a taller purple fez. Yep. It's great. It she is. rocks that thing. It takes a certain person with. An extreme degree of confidence, and I don't know what else to pull that off, and she pulls it off.
0: It's extremely good. The other outfit I wanted to talk about belongs to the construction worker that Chandu is trying to steal to uh, take his body. Needs a big, strong body. He needs a big, strong body, and he sees a construction worker. He's wearing one of those hard hats that looks like a World War I helmet. Mm-hmm. He is also wearing a green pair of pants. And a wide lapelled purple jacket. I'm pretty sure that whether Chandu ends up in that dude's body or not, he's gonna end up being a super villain.
1: It, he has to, those he, are the he's colors. He's very
0: strong, he's wearing the purple and green, and he has a specialized skill set where we see that, like, he's good at good with heights, and he's good with balance, and he's strong. That dude is definitely going to be a super villain. Like, called the Riveter? Probably.
1: Because, like, I had a rivet gun.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then, like, he'll say something and then shoot you with his rivet gun and says, Are you paying attention? Of course you are. You're
1: riveted. Yeah. Stick around.
0: Yeah, he'll say that, too. <laughs> <laughs> then then he'll say, uh, let off some steam. And then he'll, like, run a steam hose through you, uh, okay. like, like in commando. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I see where we're yeah. going with this. And, and then he'll say, uh... Get jackhammered. (laughs) Yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that's the fashion. Oh, (laughs) sure. Corey, what was your favorite panel? This was tough. This was really tough. There were some extremely good ones in here. I think most of my favorites were page 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. Like, basically... Page 11, every panel that I looked at, I was like, it's that one. No, it's that one. No, it's that one. And on page 10 is where we see the Kyle and the Brain Bowl. Mm-hmm. And the two Kyle and the Brain Bowl panels are tremendous. And then, first, Nebulon and a very angry baby deer are teleported into the headmen's new headquarters. And Dr. Gorilla Body and Ruby are shocked. Then we get the bickering Nebulon and Chandu which I love. Then we just get a close-up of the baby deer's face as it looks super angry. Then we get the baby deer burning the words I am Chandu into the wall with its laser eyes. And then we get Dr. Gorilla Body being pissed off at Chandu for not being in Kyle's body anymore. So it's a dude with a gorilla body and a human head strangling a baby deer. Mm -hmm. These panels are all great. Choosing one... Ah... I think I got to go with Nebulon yelling at Chandu in the baby deer form. In part because it sparks the whole idea of there being a buddy cop movie in there somewhere.
1: It is a hilarious panel. I I went with the one immediately following it. That is the close-up of the baby deer angry Chandu face. That's also
0: very, very good. I cannot fault either of those. It is by the narrowest of margins that I chose the one that I did instead of the one that you did. In this issue, as in every issue of the Defenders, there is one character who just has to be a sucker, who just has to behave like the fat boys in the film Crush Groove and act in a way that is contrary to their previously established character or motivation
1: in a way that furthers the plot. In this issue, who just had to be a sucker? Well, we pretty much already described what I had for how it works out, and for me, that was uh, Doctor, Doctor Strange being relatively... Humble, though he wouldn't say that he is being. Humble. Though he box at the word, his behavior belies that he is
0: indeed being uncharacteristically humble. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I had to go with that as well. I I thought about giving it to Jack, but that is explained by him just being high as fuck and mm-hmm. his new like basically spot up, chill, mystically chill body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I did decide to go with with Steve as well. There's not too much more to say on the subject. The one aspect of it that we didn't touch on where he's out of character is we find out that the guy who from the State Department who helped him set up the meeting owes him a favor because he did surgery on him for his ulcer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought Steve Strange was a neurosurgeon. Like, that seems like way below his pay grade. And we found out that he charged way too much for it, too, according to the guy. Because mm-hmm. the, guy, the guy says, uh, just figured I owed you a favor for that ulcer you cut out of me years ago. Although your fee was favor, and, and then he gets interrupted. I don't see Doctor Strange taking
1: care of an ulcer. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe it was an emergency situation where the guy had a...
0: Like, was just nearby yeah. and had an emergency upset stomach? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I think maybe Steve is just stockpiling government favors. Could be. It pays off. Mm-hmm. So, good deal. But I think it is out of character. So...
1: That's that,
0: all contributes to Doctor Strange being this issue's sucker. Every issue of The Defenders has a best defender and also a worst offender. In this issue, who was the
1: best defender? In this issue, I went with Val due to her selfless badassery and total kicking ass of that very creepy John Doe monster.
0: Corey, you couldn't be more wrong. Yeah, you could. I just keep agreeing with you on this. It Uh, seems out of character of me. I know. Maybe I'm this issue sucker. Yeah, I had Val also. Mm. Uh, My backup was the Red Guardian, because she seems dope as fuck. Yep. But we don't actually see that the brain surgery was a success, although we can assume that it probably was. But yeah, Val jumping off of Aragorn onto the Hulk's back Mm -hmm. from, like, several stories up. Very risky. Uh Uh-huh. And then her just tackling Chandu out of the sky and just... Beating the shit out of him. Chopping one of his wings off. Chopping one of his wings off. I know I already mentioned it, but grabbing his unicorn horn and using it to pull him forward and kick him in the head with her knee. Mm -hmm. I guess knee him in the head. Mm -hmm. And that want-inspiring dick kick. She is one tough lady. Yep. And she is rad. Yeah, she is easily the best defender in this issue. Conversely, who was the worst
1: offender yeah uh, it pains me to say it but i went with the hulk and really one. yep he went to the park to look for a baby deer i know and that's pretty cute but also he didn't really he just generally did a. I mean he was being the hulk so you can't yeah. really fault him for that but at the same time he caused destruction at, caused destruction because cops started shooting him for no reason Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, he didn't really help anybody fight anything, and I couldn't give it to Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange was humble and, and, and summoned the surgeon to, to save Kyle. So And also he helped kinda... scrub in for a surgery. Mm-hmm. So he was out of the running, and so it was kind of by default, it, it became the Hulk.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. I went with, mine was kind of a choice by default as well. I decided to go with Kyle because uh, he really didn't contribute anything. He just sat around being unconscious. Didn't even have any fun dreams or memories for us to look at. Mm. Just a quiet old brain in a bowl.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty ineffective. And a
0: body in a Tupperware. Mm -hmm. That's fair, too. It is. It's a little unfair because, I mean, like, it's not his fault. He's had his mind taken out of his brain. Wait, no, his mind's still in his brain. His brain's just not in his body. Mm -hmm. Does he have a brain? Yeah, he's still got Chandu's brain in his body. Mm -hmm. I hope they just toss that thing out. So,
1: what's in Chandu's body?
0: Oh, uh, Ruby made him a oh, brain out right. of the same stuff that her yep, head's yep, yep. made out of. It seems like where she had the opportunity, and her stated goal is to replace everyone's head with a head like her head, I don't know why she didn't just do that to
1: Chandu. I guess because if they'd done that, they couldn't have drawn them with the snake tongue that he uses to lick Val, which makes her gross. That grossed they... out that she beats him up so bad they
0: could have if they just made chandu a weird creep who wanted to have a snake tongue Mm -hmm. because he could alter that ruby head to be whatever he wanted just like ruby does seems like a missed opportunity
1: yeah could be
0: for ruby i don't know sure Corey, yep this was i think perhaps even more difficult than
1: choosing a favorite panel but in this issue what were the best words We've actually already described what were my favorite words, and that was Dr. Gorilla Body saying, Now, now, let's not waste words arguing. (laughs) Everybody tell me how smart I am.
0: Yeah, that was really good. I enjoyed that. I also loved, in the fight towards the end, Chandu's threat and Valkyrie's rebuttal to it. During the course of the fight, Chandu yells, I shall run you through, impale you on my horn, see your blood gush past my eyes. And she says, no time to retrieve her sword, or even to think of her action, she moves on pain-blind instinct, seizing the horn, ramming the monstrous mystic's face into her knee. And it makes a crack noise. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really exciting and dynamic, and also a terrifying threat for a man with a unicorn horn in the middle of his forehead to make. I shall run you through, impale you on my horn, see your g- blood gush past my eyes. Ugh. Ugh. That was the main one, although... There were some really flowery captioning in this. I think you were saying before we recorded, it seems like Gerber got himself a thesaurus in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he makes use, use of the words detente, which, which, which is a fun one, which I only know from Piers Anthony books. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Gorillabody says something too. Dr. Meltyface, too. Conceal your incipients, Jerry. Undelightedly, Chanda will be delighted with the improvements we've made to his original body. Mm-hmm. That, that was pretty good.
1: He uses um, a big word for accessories. I can't remember what it is, but it's in the, the fancy lunch fight scene. Yeah, toppling every culinary appurtenance in his path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun.
0: Big word. Big word. Not bad, Steve Big Words. Yeah, you should join the Newsboy Legion as Big Words.
1: Big Words. Steve Gerber.
0: Steve Big Words Gerber. Quarry, we both know that despite your choice of him as the worst offender... The Hulk rules. Indeed.
1: In this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Ah, I'm glad you asked. I had a a double header on this one. A double rule. Okay. Part one Mm -hmm. of the Hulk's rules for this issue is friends should listen to you. So true. So important. Mm -hmm. And then the follow-up to that was it is better to act than to sit and wait. Yes, that ties into
0: the one that I had, which was he who hesitates is pissed.
1: <laughs> That's yeah, the same, same thing. I think.
0: Yeah, and that was actually in the running for my favorite words too. Is what inspired that, which is there's a panel of everybody sitting around. Well, Steve's on the telephone with his contacts in the government, and Hulk says, "Sitting and waiting makes Hulk angry. Hulk wants to do something. Hulk wants to fight Bambi," and yeah. I get that, man. Mm -hmm. It is better to act than to wish you had acted, and so he who hesitates is pissed. And your friends should listen. And your friends should listen because really, that's how you know they're your friends. They listen to you. Mm -hmm. They care about you. And one way to show that you care is by listening. That's the Hulk's rules. That's the Hulk's rules. Well, that's just about it, Corey, except for it's a wonderful life. Ah, right. In the year of our Lord 1976 and the month of our Lord May,
1: how was Wong living his wonderful life? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. We all know Wong is a man of many interests, loves to travel, being a cook, among other things. He has a, a good interest in, um, in food and wine, mm-hmm. um, as well as in film. Hmm. And in May of 1976, he saw an opportunity to combine these two things and thought he would take a trip over to France. France? <laughs> and attend uh, a wine tasting contest of sorts in, in Paris, and then jaunt over to Cannes for the uh, film festival. Oh, that sounds very
0: exciting. I would bet that those French wines would have just wiped the floor with the competition, wouldn't
1: they? One would think. But uh, Wong had a little card up his sleeve, and he uh, he had made a trip down to California to wine country. Uh-huh. And got some of Robert Mondavi's finest. Ooh. And, you know, brought that over with him, and he uh, he put it there in the, in the back room with, where all the wines were. And uh, one thing led to another, and it turned out that California wines actually beat the French wines that year, and caused quite a kerfuffle. What? Which uh, Wong inadvertently had a hand in this happening. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that you know was amusing to him, and then he he traveled on uh, a few days later, on uh, towards the end of the month on the twenty fourth to see Taxi Driver win the con- film festival with ah. the, the, the golden palm award very nice mm-hmm. very nice yeah he thought the movie was a little little out there a little like he wanted it to be a little bit more of a cohesive story sure but um, that's not really paul schrader's thing no not so much so uh yeah that's what wong was up to and then after that he was pretty amped up because this you know relatively yeah. exciting movie and he was trying to get some some rest because he had to get up early to, uh-huh. to take a flight home at the, at the end of the month on the 31st but he really had trouble sleeping because the Who's London concert on the 31st was so loud that it woke <laughs> him up all the way in France. Oh, man. Yeah, it was the, the loudest uh, 120 decibels at 50 meters they recorded. Wow. loudest concert
0: to date at that time. That is a very busy month for Wong. Indeed. Do you think when he was over there, he noticed that the guns in France make the noise, pan, pan? I'm sure he would have. He probably did. Not zing. Nope, not zing. Like in Soviet Russia. (laughs) The gun zings you. Gun zings you. (laughs) Whereas in America you zing gun because you're like, stupid gun, you're an idiot. Zing. (laughs) Zing. (laughs) Well, that was part of what Wong was up to, but I don't know if you remember this. Last month, Wong and Steve had a nice bonding moment in which they pranked Dracula real hard. Oh,
1: right. By,
0: uh... Having uh, Astral Forms ask him to sign their copies of Interview with a Vampire.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Well, as I was informed by listener to the show, Ben Brainerd, in May of '76, there were a couple of crossovers between Doctor Strange number 14 and Tomb of Dracula, I believe, '42, in which Dracula bit Wong. What? And tried to turn him into a vampire. Fortunately, at the last minute, Steve stepped in, was able to do some crazy magic nonsense, and uh, you got three days after your first bit by a vampire before you turn, and uh, Steve was able to thwart that in a way and was able to keep both himself and Wong from turning into a vampire. But afterwards, he felt bad about how endangered Wong was, and so Wong had mentioned a couple of months ago that he he liked the TV show Happy Days. Mm -hmm. It's a fun show. Henry Winkler's a very charismatic actor, And so, you know how sometimes you'll mention like, hey, I like owls. I think they're pretty cool. And then you end up with like 50 owl bric-a-bracs from all your family members for the next year for Mm -hmm. Christmas. Mm -hmm. Well, in his attempt to be solicitous as to Wong's well-being, Steve may have gone a little bit overboard. Because he bought Wong the single for "Fawns," as recorded by the Heyettes, which was a top hundred hit featuring samples of Henry Winkler's voice that had oh. just come out in May of 76. Wow. He also bought him the new Fonz arcade video game, <laughs> which was a modification of Motocross and was the first uh, arcade game that had the feedback things where the handlebars would shake if you made yeah. an impact.
1: Yeah.
0: And Wong was like, "That you know, I do like Happy Days. That is very, very sweet of, of you, Steve. It's, it's a little bit much. This isn't actually a very good song. It is actually a pretty good video game. Mm. Fawn's riding a motorcycle around. Mm. But it was a little bit much. And then Steve was like, And now I thought we could watch Happy Days. And Wong was like, That is very sweet, Steve. But you know what? No. Let's watch the last episode of Dr. Marcus Welby, MD. Mm. Because he knew that Steve was a big fan of that and it reminded him of his medical days. And they had a nice bonding moment. They watched some TV together. And then Wong did go and... uh Play the Fonz video game while he listened to Fonz. Wow. And that is what Wong was up to, living his wonderful life in May of 1976. Eventful. Eventful indeed. Thank you so much for listening to us, listener. I mean, I guess that's what listeners do. (laughs) They listen, and that's what friends do, as the Hulk learned. So, listeners, thanks for being our friends. Yeah. Yeah. If you'd like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. We're all up in the internets. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean and uh, Ding Dong And uh, I Have to Go Poddy and um, Podtie. And uh, I think that's all the places. <laughs> And then some. So yeah, why not listen to us in those places and leave us a review on them? I I think we're down to like two stars on I Have to Go Potty. Oh no. So, you know, let's get those ratings up there. We don't want to be number two in the potty. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was so dumb. Oh
1: <laughs> Jesus.
0: I was a guest on the really fun Comic Reflections podcast. Uh, I think the episode that I'm on came out a couple of days ago now, from the time this one is released. So if you want to hear me and former guest of the show, Nicholas Prom, talk about Brother Power the Geek, I would highly recommend that you could check that out. It was a really fun conversation. That's about the size of that. Okay. Zing zing! Pom pam. In Soviet Russia, podcast listens to you. <laughs> Thank you. And they knew it. And they know it. I am going to destroy you. Let's go. Spider-Man and... The Twinkie Takers Everybody lie down, we're gonna steal all the Twinkies You, go down to the storeroom and bring up all the hostess Twinkies
1: Thought Bubble Little do they know that hostess Twinkies are never stored away (laughs) Peter Parker goes
0: down to the grocery store's basement and then hangs to the basement ceiling
1: Thought Bubble They're always fresh on display and I'll stay up here and wait They'll have to come down soon and see what's happened to Parker. What's keeping that guy so long? I can't wait. I want more Hostess Twinkies. I'm going downstairs.
0: That's not wise. I can't control all of these people by myself. I don't care. I can't wait. I must have those delicious Hostess Twinkies. Oh. Thought bubble.
1: I'm going to double-cross my partner and keep all the Twinkies to myself. Gad, I'm evil. Spider-Man descends from the ceiling. Ah, this will be the end of your Twinkie taking. We can't get away with it. Drop your
0: gun. We never should have tried anything so evil as to rob a store,
1: especially of Twinkies. I'll never do it again. You can say that again. There are too many good people just waiting to enjoy that golden... Sponge cake with creamy filling inside. What could be more delicious than Hostess Twinkies? You'll get a big delight in every bite of
0: Hostess Twinkies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Those guys look so goofy. They're wearing uh, masks. Yeah, I know they're wearing Groucho masks, but honestly, once he takes the Groucho glasses off, he looks
1: weirder. Yeah, and a face that's
0: kind of too small for his face. You know what I mean?
1: It's very ugly.
0: Yeah, it's not good.
1: I don't like them.
0: No, well, they're trying to steal Twinkies. It's so evil. Probably that evil distorted their faces. Probably. Yeah, evil's not a good look.